Live from the rooftop of the Herman London Real Estate Group in beautiful downtown Maplewood, it's the St. Louis Realtor Podcast with your host, Adam Cruz. Okay, well, welcome to this week's podcast. This is the Herman London Real Estate Group Podcast live from beautiful downtown Maplewood, Missouri, and this is our second one. I'm sitting here with producer Joey Vosovich and our guest, John Charlton from Midwest Mortgage Capital. So going through today's agenda, we're going to go over a couple of things. It's going to be really interesting, I'm sure. A um, couple updates. We have our Herman London Real Estate Group company retreat coming up. Uh, our retreat is put on this year by our life-alteringly amazing coach, accountability partner, sales dream team, whatever you want to call them, Trey Malicote. Um And it's going to be on November 21st. So if you are a realtor considering joining the Herman London Real Estate Group, Highly suggest you join us by then. It's going to be an all-day retreat. And if you want to participate, you've got to be part of our team, of course. Uh, update to the billiards tournament. We've had a few sign-ups, but it's not too late. You can still email Tom at HermanLondon.com. Tom at H-E-R-M-A-N-N-L-O-N-D-O-N.com. And little update, we are going to be giving away a Bud Light smoker to the winner of the billiards tournament and that's in honor of tom who's a real meat loving guy and a couple other things we're going to talk about today is the importance of riders on your sale contract we're going to talk about a few of the different riders like the appraisal rider the home sale contingency rider the subdivision rider the condo rider etc i'm just going to go over uh, those riders and a little bit of interesting stories to how they can help you I'm going to give an update on the Cyreb group that I've been going to their meetings for a little bit. Of course, we're going to have the deal of the week. I've got a rant of the week this week that's going to lead into our guest, John Charlton's meeting. And uh, we're going to go through a couple questions that people have sent in and sent in through our Facebook. So if you do have questions, please, please send me a message. Send them to Facebook, email podcast to hermanlondon.com, whatever you need to do to get your questions in so we can go over them on the air. And uh, in the upcoming weeks, we're going to talk about staging and how important it is. So, all right, again, the producer's always looking at me like, keep it going, keep it going. So basically, I'm going to jump right into talking about the CIREB. I went to this meeting today. It's the Council of Independent Real Estate Brokers. We met at Bartolino's there off Hampton and 44, which is actually a great space. I think we'll consider that for having future company events there. Um, But the Council of Independent Real Estate Brokers is a group of real estate brokers here in St. Louis who are all members of the St. Louis Association of Realtors, but they are feeling like they want more support because most of them are small real estate companies, small shops that have, you know, 25 or less agents, some of them being just their own company, maybe just them working as their own broker or, you know, an agent or two on their team. And they like to have the support, which is great because we, you know, I feel like I have a lot of support from our agents here at our company and we have enough resources to have office managers and great people like Trey on our team and, you know, have our own podcast and everything like that. But I'm also involved in the St. Louis Association of Realtors. I just got added to the board of directors for this upcoming year. But it's nice to go to other broker events and talk with smaller local brokers about issues that are facing them and, you know, the Zillow buying Trulia and how that's going to affect them and different ways that they get leads. And hopefully in the future, we'll talk about, you know, how we can save money on things like, you know, insurance and this kind of stuff going forward. So if you are looking for a group of 
brokers to join that's a great group to join or you know i always encourage our realtors my friends and everyone to go out there go to meetup.com find a group find people that you want to talk to if you're interested in something there is a group out there for you that's probably meeting somewhere and talking about it and you can meet some friends if you're a realtor you can pick up some new clients etc doing this kind of stuff all right i'm going to jump into our deal of the week and this week it's another property that i have listed for sale last week we went over whispering wind song which is a home in st charles in o'fallon that we just lowered the price on actually but this week we're going to talk about a home that is for sale in south st louis off delore street it's 5310 delore street and the reason i consider this home to be the deal of the week is because it has really really good bones and it's got a lot of space the home to me sort of from the street is a little unassuming you wouldn't think it would be this big but it has a really large upstairs with two bedrooms and the kind of the hidden gem about this home is that if you take up the carpets it's all beautiful hardwood floors throughout the house i say beautiful I, I don't know exactly what's under the carpets but from the corners that we've peeled up the hardwood floors look like they're in great condition we're asking 139.9 right now for the home which is a pretty good deal actually for a home in this area just in general but i feel like if you remove the carpets do some painting do some cleanup and the home will have a lot more value it's a four bedroom home and the one bathroom and it's a desirable south st louis neighborhood so if you're interested in that home or any other deals or homes for yourself or investments give us a call here at herman london 314-802-0797 and we'd love to work with you or if you have a home to sell of course give us a call that for that too and we can feature it on our podcast or we can get it sold we've, we've been selling a lot of properties lately when you look at our inventory for our company our inventory is down and that makes me a little sad but then i look at the fact that so many of our properties are under contract and pending and that makes more sense about why our inventory is down because most of the homes that we list they go under contract really quick so it's hard to keep a inventory when everything's selling let's see i'm going to talk a little bit about these riders i want to talk about the riders that we as realtors can add to our sales contracts i always have to remind everyone that i'm not an attorney these documents do have legal consequences consequences if you don't understand them please consult your attorney of course so I mentioned there's a few different riders that we typically add to the contract. For example, if you are getting a conventional loan, we will usually add the appraisal rider. We, the appraisal rider basically protects the buyer to make sure that the home will appraise for at least what the buyer is paying for it. And if it doesn't, they can lower the price. They can back, walk away. They can come up with the difference or the, the deal can just die. And we had two listings in the last two weeks that we've listed. We've got contracts on them from buyers from realtors from other companies and once the property appraises they appraise the property for less than what the buyer was willing to or what the agreed upon sales price was so you can say a lot of things is that good for us is that bad for us i think it's it's nice that our marketing did a great job and we were able to bring a buyer who was willing to pay top dollar for the property i mean ultimately it's going to end up being bad for the seller because most likely they're going to have to end up lowering the sales price for the home or they can consider trying to put the home back on the market and hope a different appraiser gives it a different value but chances are you know the the property is going to appraise for about the same price there's an art to appraisals not a science so there's you never know exactly what it's going to come up to 
but this appraisal writer formed that this particular realtor used on the sales contract did protect their buyer. The seller, our client, had to end up lowering their price by, I believe, $5,000 to be able to sell their home. And unfortunately, that's what they had to do. But in theory, they should have never really got a contract for the price that they did because the buyer was trying to pay more than what the market value of the home was. So uh, the next appraisal or the next writer I want to talk about is not the appraisal writer. It's the contingency for sale and closing of buyer's property. So this is an interesting form because a lot of people have a home that they want to sell and because they, they need to buy a new home. And I've got clients right now that are looking to buy a new home. They want to upgrade. They want to get a bigger home for their family that's growing. And of course they have a home they want to sell first so they don't get stuck with two mortgage payments. So we quickly found a home for them to buy and on our offer, we added the contingency for sale and closing of buyer's property. Now this form has a few interesting nuances to it, just even in its title, contingency for sale and closing of buyer's property. In this case, we have their home listed, but we don't, we do not have it under contract yet. So our contingency truly is for sale, meaning getting it under contract and closing, meaning getting the deal to close of their property. And if they would have had it under contract already, our offers would probably be considered stronger because the seller doesn't have to wonder how long is it going to take for these uh, buyers slash sellers to get their home under contract and then ultimately sold. And then additionally, I just wanted to mention one thing about this rider form is that it's interesting that it has the same sort of wording in it that we see in some of our other riders related to short sales which is that the time frames provided in paragraphs 8, 10, 10A, and 11 of the sales contract, which are things like how long do we have to do our inspections, how long until the municipal inspections start, that type of thing, shall begin when buyer contracts to sell his property, referenced in paragraph 1 above, or when buyer waives his contingency, whichever occurs first. Meaning, when my buyers get our, their new home under contract, they don't actually have to spend their money on their inspections until they know that they are going to sell their house or at least until they have their home under contract. So they can avoid wasting their money if the timing end up ends up not working out and the seller wants to cancel the contract or kick them out because of this contingency. There's a lot of nuances to all these different forms that we use and so it's always good obviously to work with a realtor. As far as I know these forms are only available to realtors anyway. And also, typically working with the buyer's agent doesn't cost the buyer anything. Um, so they might as well use a realtor, and we have access to all these forms, so let's use them. Another writer that is probably underused is called the Review of the Indentures and Restricted Covenants Writer. And here's an example of what this writer says. Basically is, we once you have an accepted contract, we need to be able to take a look at the Homeowners Association documents. If we see any problems in there or we have any concerns about it, then we basically can terminate the contract and get our earnest money back. Well, this happened in a recent deal. I got a call from one of our agents today, actually, and uh, her client was looking to purchase a home. He was going to live in the home for one year. And then when that year was up, he was intending to rent the property out and just have it become an investment property, you know, for from now and forever. But when he received the Homeowners Association documents, he found out that particular subdivision has a rule that you can't have any rental properties. So now he knows that he can actually back out of the sales contract if he wants to, or he might end up buying the property and 
living there for a year or however long he wants to and then selling the property because he's actually getting it for a great deal. But because he found out that the property would not be able to be rented just because of the homeowners association rules, he does have the right to back out of the property because we are within our timelines. And again, this is the kind of thing you want to work with your realtor directly on. And the last writer I wanted to mention is kind of similar to that one. It's a condo writer. And basically it states that you need to be able to see the condo association documents and rules before you're firm into your contract because you might find out that it can't become a rental or that you can't have too many people living in the condo or that you can't have a barbecue grill on your deck. And that's something that's really important to you, you know. So there's a lot of little details that go into writing a contract to protect your clients in the best way. And those are just a few examples of some forms that we use to make sure our clients' best interests are protected. Okay, well, while we're waiting on John, if this is okay with Joey for this production right here, I'm just going to answer the two questions that we got for the week. One of the questions was, can you do an MHDC deal on a 203K loan? The short answer is no. You might be wondering, what's an MHDC deal? Don't worry, we're going to talk about that in just a second. Okay, well, the second question that we got was relating to someone, an investor, who wants to buy a property in University City, and they found out that the property is in the 100-year flood zone, kind of wondering, what does that mean? And also, they were concerned about what that's going to do to their insurance. And, and apparently, back in 2008, in University City, there was a heavy rain, and it caused a flood, and MS, uh, Missouri Sewer District, or MSD, installed a device in the sewer that's supposed to prevent this from happening. What is this device? This is kind of the question that we got. And we actually tapped into one of our agents, Matt Simon, who lives in University City and is familiar with the situation because he's had the problem. Just went over to his house the other day, and he told me his house was flooded, so I knew he'd be a great person to answer this question. And here's his answer. Basically, he's saying that there are various floodplains throughout St. Louis. They're named for the amount of time they think will pass before the next flood. Hence, the 100-year floodplain cross uh, would be a flood that should happen once every 100 years. Uh, the 100-year floodplain actually does cross through a section of University City, which was surprising to me, and it will require the owner to acquire flood insurance. The price of flood insurance and the process of getting the insurance can be a hassle through the government organization FEMA and I believe FEMA might be the only one who actually offers the insurance so maybe we'll have to have an insurance guy in, in the future to answer that question for us but as for the sewer MSD has had several issues with University City and like the question asker mentioned in 2008 there was four and a half inches of rain within three hours and the sewers backed up into people's basements. So MSD developed a program called SSP, the Sewer Separation Program, for eligible neighborhoods that have been affected by the backups. And he happens to live in one of those neighborhoods, University City, as I mentioned. And he's having one of these SSP devices put in his yard right now. The way it explained to him is that it will prevent the main sewer line from backing up into his house by creating a disconnect in the instant that the sewers back up. All of his neighbors had them installed after the 2008, and they haven't had any problems since. So we hope that was a helpful answer to the question. And we love getting questions, so please, please send in your questions. Again, Facebook or call us or send an email to podcast at hermanlondon.com.
Next, we're going to call in John Charlton to listen to my rant of the week, and then we're going to, which is going to lead into our topic. So here he comes. Okay, we just got another question sent in to us from Pete DePrado on Facebook, and it looks like Pete is looking to buy a foreclosure home, and he said he'd be interested in a segment on some of the issues associated with buying a bank-owned home. Well, we've got John Charlton sitting in here with us, our friendly local banker, mortgage broker, loan officer. What do you call yourself, John? Senior mortgage banker. Senior mortgage banker. Okay. Do you want to talk about any of the issues associated with buying a bank-owned home? Sure. I mean, we can talk about it. I mean, do you have specific questions? We could talk about it all day, couldn't we? We we could. I think that some of the issues I've run across with my clients trying to buy a bank-owned home is when the home is not in, what do you call it, livable condition. Mm-hmm. You don't want to give someone a loan on a home if there's no working bathroom and working kitchen. Is that right? Yeah, that can be a big um, problem, you know, just depending on the type of loan program they're wanting to do. Um, because if the property, for instance, if it's not livable, then almost certainly an FHA loan isn't going to be something that's that can be done unless it's a um, 203K or something like that. Oh, they can get a conventional loan even if there's no working kitchen or bathroom. They can. Um, the guidelines on that are going to be kind of specific to investor. Um, so, you know, normally you're going to see more of a down payment requirement, something like that. They're going to want to know that the buyer has sufficient reserves to do the work um, or they're doing a home path renovation loan or something of those that sort where – you know, the actual financing for the renovation is is part of the loan. Okay, so. so just to be clear, it's not because the property is a foreclosure that and it doesn't have a working bathroom that we have a problem. From my perspective, it's the problem is if I'm buying a if my client's buying a normal home or a home from someone privately owned that doesn't have a working bathroom and we discover this, most likely we can say, Hey seller we can't get a loan unless you fix, fix the bathroom, right? Exactly. And the seller says, golly, I guess I'll have to fix that bathroom. But in the case of a foreclosure, we say, hey, bank, go ahead and fix that bathroom. And they say, no, I'm not going to. No, gonna. I mean, and, and in fact, you, you all, of course, see this in the listing. Mostly, most of the time, a foreclosure is listed as an as-is property, mm-hmm. meaning just that. They're not going to do any work to it. And, I mean, it does depend somewhat what the issue on the on the property might be. I mean, it'd be something that hopefully would be, you know, seen during an inspection process. So there'd be contingencies kind of already set up before you get an appraisal done and an appraiser says, well, hey, you know, this is going to have to be appraised subject to um, a certain amount of work being done. Um, Okay. So another thing, I mean, just, we're just sort of talking in general, Pete, we could actually talk about foreclosures, buying foreclosures. I could talk about that all day. We could have a podcast just about that probably. Yeah. You know, talking about what's a short sale, what's a foreclosure, what's an REO, how do you buy a bank owned or how do you buy a property on the courthouse steps, that kind of thing. Um, One of the things I would like you to know is that most foreclosures are, they're actually considered REO. It's a bank, it's a balance sheets term, right? It's REO, real estate owned. But most of those are listed by realtors, and they are on the you know websites like Realtor.com, HermanLendon.com, and other real estate websites. So if you see someone offering a free foreclosure list, that's really just a marketing gimmick that they're going to pull up from their normal MLS search and give you a list of foreclosures from that. 
and he, charge you for it, whereas a realtor could just get you that list of. They might charge you for it. I've seen realtors saying, you know, call me for your free foreclosure list or whatever, and that's fine. That they're just trying to mm-hmm. get people who are interested in foreclosures to call them. But essentially, I guess my point is, foreclosures are listed on the MLS just yeah. like short sales are, just like regular homes are. Mm-hmm. And we can now search. Uh, this probably happened a year or two ago, but we can now search the MLS. Realtors can specifically for foreclosures or technically for bank-owned properties, which is nice. Yeah. Definitely. So if you go to our website and you're searching for properties, you're going to see foreclosures on there too. You'll you can guess it's a foreclosure if you see terms like as is or corporate owned or seller to do no repairs. Oftentimes those are foreclosures. Not always, but oftentimes those are foreclosures. Right. And where we, you know, a lot of times what we see is we might not see it's missing a bathroom, but we might see that there's um, smaller issues with the problem property that you know an appraiser can or cannot notate an appraisal and essentially um you know if it's a small item for instance there's a, a contract going right now and um i have a contract going right now and there's a hole in the ceiling um doesn't it was in the watermark nothing like that just for some reason this property has a random hole in the ceiling the appraiser called said it didn't he didn't feel like it was going to affect the 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 mark you know the price on the property wasn't going to affect the ability to sell the property so it was omitted from the appraisal report so okay. essentially what happened so that's good mm-hmm. and the other question i think that people ask me a lot about foreclosures is oh aren't they a pain aren't isn't that going to cause trouble isn't that going to be you know a lot of red tape not necessarily really a foreclosure has kind of already gone through what we call a foreclosure which is technically an reo has already gone through most of the red tape you know, the bank is is agreeing to sell it at this price. And if we write an offer, they will probably close in a reasonable amount of time. It's the short sale that isn't it going to be a pain? Yes. Will you get it in one month? Probably not. Will you get it in two years? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But it's the short sale that can, can cause basically more red tape and be a pain. Still potentially a great deal. We do short sales all the time, but big difference between short sales and foreclosures and so foreclosures are not necessarily a pain to buy, especially if they're in decent condition, and a lot of them are. Yeah, and I mean, I think surplus has something to do with that, too. Banks have gotten good at kind of processing foreclosures, um, have gotten contacts as far as getting those properties listed quicker. You know, there's not as many problematic, you know, there's a ton of properties. The banks just don't have time to deal with all of them now in the market than there was, say, three or four years ago. They've gotten good at kind of doing their work up front, doing the property preservation, meaning cleaning the property out, getting it boarded up, getting it winterized, getting the water turned off, all that type of thing too. Mm -hmm. So you should see less damage just happening to the property from the process of it sitting there for maybe up to a year while the bank figures out what they're going to do with it while it sits on their balance sheet. Absolutely. And then you've heard horror stories like the people that got foreclosed on, you know, they put concrete down the toilet and that kind of stuff. And I guess that could happen. It's a, maybe it could happen. Um, if you're buying a house on the courthouse steps with no opportunity to inspect it, that might be more of a concern. But we don't typically deal with people buying homes on the courthouse steps. Typically, we deal with people that are buying them through our normal process, and we will get the opportunity to inspect it. A good inspector is going to find most of those kind of things. You know, we often mm-hmm. suggest that they get a lateral line inspection where they stick a camera down the but down the plumbing lines and they'll find out if there's concrete in there or not. You know, so sure. 
some people do damage the home. Honestly, most of the people kind of damage the home more while they're living there. We see some really fairly nasty homes. So, But just because you got a foreclosure doesn't mean you have a nasty home necessarily. They're in all different conditions. Yeah, and on the buying side, I mean, I would tell you that really it's no different than any other purchase. Um, banks looking at collateral, making sure that the collateral is good, um, you know, so that they're making a good decision to give you a loan on it. Um, but that's that's true of any any purchase, whether it's a foreclosure or, or any type of purchase. So, All right. Well, thank you for the question, Pete. And now we're going to move on to my rant of the week. I'm not typically the type of person that rants, especially in public like this, but I'm doing a deal right now where we are dealing with, I'm representing the seller and the buyer is getting their down payment using a program called NACA. And basically... It's not very good to work with them. They're taking forever. They're stalling our deal. We don't have any information. What's going on? Why is this taking two and a half weeks extra past the closing date? You know, what are all these rules that you guys have? Who are all these different people involved with the deal? It's not been fun. NACA's bad, but down payment assistance programs are not necessarily bad, right, John? No, not necessarily. I mean, grant programs can be difficult to work with. That's what you're talking about with NACA. Um, you know, there's a difference between down payment assistance and a grant. Um, somebody who's looking for a grant has to qualify based on all sorts of criterion. There are down payment assistance loans that have very simple criterion, though. Um, that's what our bank tends to focus on. Uh, for instance, MHDC, um, which is an acronym, stands for Missouri Housing Development Commission. But basically, it's a down payment assistance loan for a first-time home buyer, state of Missouri. Um, gives you 3% towards a down payment. And it's a forgivable lien, um, five years, so pretty straightforward. We do a ton of them, um, and they're easy to work with, I guess, is the main thing. So we've done a few of these MHDC deals together, and they have been pretty easy to work with. Yeah, they are. Maybe they're not any better than NACA. I don't know, but the communication is definitely better. Yeah, you know what you have pretty fast. So, um, you know, and, and that's an important thing because, you know, oftentimes circumstances – change with loan programs all the time. MHDC has pretty much had the same criterion for the last five years. Um, and, you know, they are pretty easy to work with. Okay. So one more time, what is MHDC? So Missouri Housing Development Commission is what it stands for. But basically when I say an MHDC loan, I'm talking about a down payment assistance loan, FHA so loan. I'm getting my down payment still through you, John, uh -huh. through, you're going to, MHCC is going to cover my down payment. Do I get my loan from someone else? I mean, from somewhere else? No, the loan's still through our company. Um, that MHDC loan, it is a loan. It's a three-year forgivable loan, or five-year, rather, forgivable loan um, that you get from the Missouri Housing Development Commission. So I'm so going to end up with two loans. You're going to end up with two loans, but the loan to the MHDC, you're not going to make a payment on. It's okay. going to sit in second position as a lien for five years and then be forgiven in its entirety. So as long as I – do I have to live in the home for five years? You have to own the home for five years, and that's a key um, distinction because a lot of times people will think, well, we got to live here for five years. Am I really wanting to live in the same house for five years? That's a long commitment. No, but you do need to own it. So, so I can turn it into a rental. You can turn it into a rental. Um, you know, your purchase of your next home, though, might be somewhat impacted by having, number one, a whole loan with another house if you're not renting it already or whatever. 
Um, but yes, you could turn it into a rental property if you decided you needed to move or something like that. And, you know, you decided to rent for a while, you could keep that house, you know, rented. It wouldn't be a problem. So does MHDC only work on if, if I'm getting an FHA loan for, you know, 96.5%? They actually have programs for VA, for conventional loans. They There's a whole gamut of products that they do, but we primarily only use it for down payment assistance um, for a first-time home buyer because that's really their strongest program, best interest rate program that they have. So if I call you, I'm a buyer, I call you, do I have mm-hmm. to have never bought a home before? Um, definition of a new homeowner for MHDC is five years without being on the title of a property. So Okay. Let's um, just say I've never owned a home before. Yeah, you're perfect. I call you up. I say, hey, John, I want to buy a house. You know, I'm working with the Herman London Group as my realtor. I want to buy a house. And you're going to possibly say to me, great, you have to bring no money to the table? No, I mean, the, your minimum skin in the game, so to speak, is a half of a percentage. A normal down payment for an FHA loan is 3.5%. Um, the MHDC loan is a 3% loan, so your your borrower in that sense would still need a half of a percent down. So if I'm buying a $200,000 house, I need to bring $1,000 to the table. That's roughly what your minimum you know, contribution to the closing would be. Now, I say minimum because... You know, contractually, as a realtor, you know this, you can get concessions from the seller. Say they give you 3% concessions to cover your closing costs. Then theoretically, that borrower buying a $200,000 home could get in for 1000 bucks. Okay, so even if they're going to pay my 3% closing costs, what does my $1,000 go to then? That's your, part of your down payment. So you Oh, know, it'll go towards my down payment. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's correct. And the other 3% of the total 3.5% down payment would come from MHDC. Um, they would actually supply that money for you. So if I really only want to, if I'm buying a $200,000 home and I really only want to take, literally take $1,000 out of my pocket, I can have the sellers pay for my prepaid costs, my yeah, closing costs, which can include my prepaids, uh-huh, my absolutely. inspections. Yep. Everything. Wow. Okay. So great. I always tell anybody about MHDC and I, and I, I kind of explain it as, as your person who is renting it's the easiest transition from a renter to a buyer that you could have because, you know, you think about what that down payment signifies to a person. It's probably pretty much the equivalent of paying rent for a month, you know, and that's usually what we find is that people that are, you know, renting for $1,000 a month, they probably are looking at a $200,000 property is what they would ideally want to buy. Um, and so, you know, there you are. You know, what would normally be your rent payment is now a down payment on a house. You're not going to have a payment for a month and a half or so on the new house. Um, so it's a it's an, a good way for somebody to transition from renting to owning. Okay. And that applies to us because we've been working a lot with our renters and our people that call in on our rental properties to get them qualified. Yeah. And it applies to anybody that you talk to who says, you know, I want to buy in a, in a year and a half. Well, why a year and a half? A lot of times the reason if you ask somebody that is, well, we want to save up for a down payment. Well, okay, what if there's a program where you could buy a house now, get a great interest rate because the rates on these loans are fantastic, and you don't have to spend a year and a half trying to put together 5% or 10% for a down payment, which in a year and a half, maybe that house is costing 5 or 10% more. Who knows? 
As a side note, what do you say to my Aunt Mersey who thinks anyone who doesn't put down 20% is a sinner? Um, it's a bad person. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. I don't okay. know. <laughs> uh, there's two schools of thought. There's Aunt Mersey's school of thought and my school of thought. Okay, so what else do I have to do to qualify? Do I have to have a certain much amount of money or not, not a certain amount of money, or what's the rules there? So there are um, restrictions. I mean, the first and most important restriction, I would say, is they have targeted and non-targeted areas. The majority of the areas you're going to be looking at are non-targeted, you know, because it's very specific new development neighborhoods that are targeted by MHTC um, in growing population centers. So, you know, that's not going to be a whole lot of places. You can go to their website to find out where they're targeting, but... If it's a non-targeted property, then your max is 265158 for a single family. Slow and down, slow down. What? Oh, $265,158. That's going to be your maximum Purchase loan price amount. in a loan certain amount. areas. Uh-huh. Okay. And then it's loan amount, not purchase price. But then okay. the same thing with um, on duplexes, it's up at you know kind of a higher price point, 339455 is going to be the maximum loan amount for a duplex. So, and then income restrictions also apply. You can do an MHDC loan without the down payment assistance if you make $300,000 a year. But if you're a single person, your maximum income to get the down payment assistance is going to be 67000 roughly. Um, and if you're a family of three, it's going to be 77000 annual income um, in order to qualify for the down payment assistance. Well, I have two questions for you. What do you mean I can do the MHDC loan without the down payment assistance? What's the point of an MHDC loan if I'm not getting down payment money? In some cases, MHDC interest rates are better than market interest rates. I, that was initially the intent of the commission and why it was created was to give people lower interest options. Um, however, the market right now is so low that there's you know they're not always the the lowest interest um, loans that you can get. So the lowest know, interest loan for the full loan. Correct. Yes. Okay. So you know in years past when interest rates were up in the six and seven percent range, MHDC loans might have been at five and a half. That's a fantastic deal, and maybe we'll be in that environment again. Right now, though, I mean the interest rates are so low with everybody that they oftentimes might be a little higher, might be a little lower, depending on the scenario. Okay, and I guess I should mention this. Right before we started recording this podcast, you said, hold on a second, MHCC just changed all their rules. So we let me look up what the exact ones are now. If someone's interested in doing this, should they assume what you said is still current, still correct? They should um, give me a call. I mean, they're, these programs do change because okay. the government is trying to kind of fit the pool of people looking to do loans and to, to buy homes, um, they they do adjust everything at least quarterly. One of the other nice things, though, about MHDC loans is that their interest rates don't change very often. So, you know, for instance, you know, depending on the market, sometimes, you know, a conventional loan can run this last year from anywhere from 4% to 5%. Well, MHDC loans all year long have been at four and a quarter. And they haven't changed. So they're not as, you know, they're not going to fluctuate with the market as much. So, Okay, tell me your phone number. Um, direct line is 314-744-7851. Do you have to give me any other little stuff like the end of, I hear it, radio My MLS number is one eight eight nine one zero. 
Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you for coming. And uh, I'm just going to make two quick announcements, and that's going to be the end of our show. I see Joey sitting here telling me to wrap it up. So two quick announcements. Uh, we are adding a feature to our website. I've never seen this on any other website before. When you go to our website and you search for properties and you're on the property detail page of a home that you're looking at, on the right you're going to see a button that says either make an offer or bid now or something like that. So we're literally going to make it so you can make an offer on a home from the website. You don't have to talk to me at all. Um, we're still tweaking it. We're still testing it. So if you're interested in that, please go check it out. Click the buttons. See what happens. Give us your feedback. You know, we, we want to be innovative here, and that's one of the things that we're trying to do. And then uh, the last announcement is that we're going to have some great guests in the upcoming weeks. I'm going to have a real estate investor on the show. I want to have a stager on the show. I want to have this guy from the Nevada Holding Corporation on the show to talk about why you should open your companies uh, based out of Nevada instead of based out of Missouri. We want to have some great topics. Please, please, please submit your questions to our website, to our email, to our Facebook, to our whatever. And don't forget about the billiards tournament. Come on and get that Bud Light Smoker. And thanks once more to our producer, Joey Vasevich. And have a great week. Take care.